And as you can tell, we are in part eight of our First Corinthians series entitled Practical Faithfulness. And this morning's message is entitled Faithful to Our Temple. So let's begin with some thoughts and recaps so we're all back into the same mindset. Talk about ancient Corinth. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, which is in Greece. Although the Roman Empire was in charge in Paul's day, they were a Greco-Roman worldview, Greece combined with Rome. And so it was kind of a, a mixed up concept. However, to be in Corinth in the ancient world was to be in a highly, highly sexualized environment. Remember, I told you this is a brand new church. Nobody's more than maybe five years old because Paul planted the church five years before this letter. So everybody's baby Christians, except for the leadership that was imported in there. And they are in the middle of hardcore Vegas strip church. You always have to be thinking about that baby Christians on the Vegas strip. That's what was happening. This was even more than Vegas for a couple reasons. Remember the word to Corinthianize meant to have sex. If your town means sex, it's pretty big deal, right? It would be like everyone going, I heard that you were involved in Rocklandizing, <laughs> right? And you're like, wait, what? That sounds weird. Their city in the whole region was known for sex. It was the title of their city. So it's a big deal to them. Um, not only that, but prostitution, fornication, adultery, that was a way of life. They had the temple of Aphrodite there who had a, they worshiped by prostitution. So a thousand prostitutes would be in the city at any given time. And your act of worship, if your religion is primarily based on sex, then obviously it's bleeding through all of your society. Give you an idea on the mindset of the time. A uh, man from Athens around 350 BC named Demosthenes, he was a statesman and an orator, considered one of the greatest speakers of all time. This was his phrase in talking to the men of Greece. He said, we keep mistresses for pleasure, concubines for daily relationship, and wives for legitimate children and to take care of the home. The idea was, that's how we roll. All the idea of having multiple sex partners, the idea of having multiple people in your daily life, a lot of different women, that was kind of how everything ran. So do you not think that's going to import into the church? Everybody came from that. Anyone that's not Jewish were Gentile. They were raised in that environment. That's normal to them. They are now going to walk into church and they come into a shock. Things aren't running like that in church. They think they should, but they're not going to. Let me use a little bit more practical example. Uh, this happens an awful lot. You invite your buddy and we're just going to pick a name. We're going to pick, pick a guy's name. What's your name? Jeremy. All right, we're going to pick on Jeremy. All right, now let's say, sorry, Jeremy. <laughs> um, so Jeremy, uh, he goes with me and he goes to an event where we're all going to talk about Jesus. Jeremy has never had any access to Jesus Christ before. And so he comes in, he's like, Lance, I don't know about this. And I said, come on, man, this is a killer event. We're talking about the Lord. He's convicted by the Holy Spirit. We're in this revival time. Jeremy accepts the Lord, comes forward, and he's pumped up. He knows that now he's been forgiven and cleansed and has a brand new start in Jesus Christ. And he's all fired up and they hand him a Bible and he's like, yeah, this is awesome, right? And so the next morning I give him a call. I'm like, hey, Jeremy, what's up? And he's like, 
dude, I'm kind of pumped about last night, and I'm looking forward to a brand new day. And I'm like, that's awesome. He goes, well, come on over, and uh, we'll talk about it. And I said, all right. So I go over, and he's ready to light his bong. All right? <laughs> Sorry, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> So he's, he's, and I go, and I go, Hey dude, what's up? Whoa, what are you doing? I'm taking a hit. <laughs> okay. What, why? Cause I do every day. Right. Um, and I, and I go, well, okay, that, all right, well, hold on a second. I thought last night you did this whole, like, you know, I'm a Christian and everything. Yeah, I did. Totally. It's awesome. Okay, well, Jesus has this interesting view, <laughs> and and basically it's the idea that no, we're not we're not getting loaded anymore. We're not we're not kind of doing that thing. And he's like, "What's that?" <laughs> well, he's not really into the pot thing so much, and 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 you know the whole let's get hammered and you know the parting thing. Seriously? Yeah, no, seriously. All right, I don't know how that's going to work. Um. All right, well, whatever. Well, Jeremy, what are you doing tonight? You know what? Now we're talking. I'm hooking up with you know who, right? <laughs> About that. Okay, that, do you understand the problem? Is now the world just crashed into each other. Is that there's this idea and there was this understanding of, yes, this brand new thing in Jesus Christ and, and all this. And then all of a sudden there was expectations for change. But that's not how he grew up. Uh, he was just moving forward with all the stuff he always did. He didn't understand that they were exclusive to one another. He didn't understand that there was going to be all this change in all these different areas. So along the way, he began to learn that there are different things expected of you as a believer. But we don't know all that. We don't, we don't talk about all that the first night, right? So all these people are coming in with this mindset, and they're trying to blend the two. And they're having a hard time doing it. So they wrote Paul a letter and they said, Paul, we're totally confused on a bunch of stuff. You, uh, we think you said this, but you clearly couldn't have meant that because that means this. And can you please clarify? And the pastor's writing a letter back and saying, let's hit all these things. Man, you guys are more messed up than I thought. Man, you got this issue. You know, first we're talking about the whole, that's crazy incest guy in your church and you're all cool with that. No, no, no. We're moving him out. And what's happening here? You're having lawsuits against each other. Well, now we got all these sexual issues. I know you're in Vegas, but th there's a bunch of things we need to change. So this week is about sexual issues outside the marriage. Next week, it's sexual issues inside the marriage and it, and it just keeps going on and on and on and Paul one by one is trying to correct some behavior well the problem with them is the same problem with us which is we are ignorant about how sex works how do I know that because of how we're utilizing it in our life we use it as a bargaining chip we use it as a penalty to each other we use it for a bunch of different reasons we use it to try to gain attention we use it to try to gain love we use it to try to do a bunch of things that it actually is not designed for we allow it to crush our spirits we allow it to hurt one another we allow it to do all these things we don't understand what's going on they didn't either because their culture told them that it was no big deal it's just an earthly thing just roll with it we have allowed, and I am, I'm, I'm going to raise my hand first, right? I was raised and discipled by Hollywood. All right? So let's, let's play the Hollywood game, because you all know this. Um, you got a movie, right? We're all going to watch a movie, 
it's going to be some chick flick, right? So we all go to the movies, and the couple shows interest in one another, and you can tell there's chemistry. Can you very accurately know that there will be a sex scene in about 20 minutes, right? I mean, that's just how it always goes. So on TV, in any drama series, the minute you start seeing a couple show interest in each other, sex is going to happen within the episode. You already know that. The problem is, is that we've allowed that to bleed in to our personal worldview that to validate feelings towards another person, it must lead to sex. If not, it's not legitimate. Well, that's incorrect. That is not biblical. It's not right. It's not good. And it leads to chaos and pain. But we keep allowing it inside us. We keep allowing this thought process that if I love them, if they love me, we have to have sex or else it's not good. It's just killing us. It's killing us as a society. And we don't understand why. Because it should be no big deal. Because that's what we keep saying, right? It's no big deal. And then it seems like, let's say we have an experience like that. Let's say our first sexual experience, we get into a relationship. We don't even know what the heck's going on. Our, our boyfriend, girlfriend talks us into the idea of having sex. It's a horrible experience because we weren't expecting that. We weren't even geared up for that. And we have a bad experience. We now need to reconcile that, especially after we break up. That was no big deal. Well, then we roll it forward. It is no big deal. Therefore, it has no value. Therefore, I can utilize it whenever necessary. And now I'm disappointed in it. And now I have a negative view towards it. And it keeps going on and on and on. That's our society. But that is also our church. Right? I can tell how a couple breaks up whether or not they've had sex. I can tell you in an instant, I need to hear a few words. All I need to do is look in your eyes, and I already know. Why? Because something's going on, and we're not tracking with it. Because it's causing an extra ounce of difficulty or pain. Well, let me just share this with you. Um, C.S. Lewis has this quote, right? And I had heard it recently. It was quoted in one of the two of the commentaries that I read. And, and I wanted to share it with you. It's by C.S. Lewis. He said this. The truth is, is that whenever a man lies with a woman, there, whether they like it or not, a transcendental relation is set up between them, which must be either eternally enjoyed or eternally endured. Now, I can tell you that there is a series of relationships in your past and you never want to see those people again. I know that. I know there is pain associated, there is betrayal, there is this, there is that. Guess what? To some degree, you're carrying that garbage with you moving forward and you want nothing to do with them. Understand that God's guidelines and rules and prohibitions in Scripture are to protect you. They are not like, hey, how can I ruin your day? That is not the point. The idea, and here's what's intriguing. The, the end, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. As a matter of fact, God's trying to set up a, a plan by which we are, that we may have joy and have it to the fullest. You remember that? All these things in scripture. He's trying to maximize joy, lightheartedness, 
light yoke, easy burden. He's trying to make a world where we can thrive and have adventure and smile and be lighthearted. And we keep putting the weight in our backpacks. Oh, God, all he wants to do is just shut down that, shut down that, shut down that, shut down that. You know what? Because you'll kill yourself. That's why. He's not trying to kill everything that is a joy. As a matter of fact, he's trying to bring it alive. So the bottom line is to fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. It's this. We don't understand the power of sex. We don't understand the power of sex. So Paul's trying to teach us. He's trying to give us a new idea. He's trying to give a a new perspective from maybe God's vantage point on what is going on with sex. Now, he'll use terms that you may not be familiar with. If you've been in the church long enough, you hear them. You just don't ever use them because they're super awkward. Fornication. Nobody uses that term, right? Fornication, adultery. Adultery is used in our society to some degree, but not very often. So fornication and adultery are different in this sense. Fornication means both parties are not in a marriage covenant with anyone else and they're having sex. Adultery means one of them at least is in a marriage covenant. So you can have adultery even though you're not married, but you're having sex with somebody who is married. That's still an adulterous relationship. Fornication, not married. The way that it works in our society is dating, right? So let's talk about that for a second real practically. If a guy comes, lady, let me just let some of the single ladies know something. If a guy says, if you love me, you'd have sex with me. Let me translate. Here's what he's saying. I'm a bad guy. I'm not the right one. Don't marry me. That's actually what he just said. All right. I know it's hard to translate sometimes, but that's actually what he just said. Because if he is making poor decisions like that and you're only dating, I'm not quite sure he is the leadership that you're looking for within a marriage context that you are now going to submit yourself under as the head of your home. I'm not quite sure that's what you want and what you desire. So we need to figure some of these things out and quit letting Hollywood tell us what to do. Adultery is the scenario where you step out of your covenant. And this is how we're going to make it practical for the rest of us, right? And I will tell you this. Let me be very clear on something. The only reason that my wife and I, our marriage is still intact and healthy at this point, that she hasn't had an affair on me, I haven't had an affair on her, the only reason is the grace of God, the prayers of the saints, and wisdom with boundaries. That's it. It is not because we're more holy. It is not because we know something that you don't know. It is strictly because God has been kind to us and we're all in the same boat, right? It can happen just as easily in my marriage as it is in your marriage. Never overestimate or underestimate yourself. So this is how it's going to roll. There are some of you right here, right now. You got a coworker. You can't wait to see if they show up to work. You're married. Whether they're married or not does not matter. You are married and you are waiting for them to show up at work. And when they show up, your pulse starts going and you find ways to connect in with them during the day. You know, you've taken the flirting thing too far. 
You know you keep pushing the sexual elements of it, trying to test the waters. You try to play the game like you're just making it, making yourself feel better. I'm telling you right now, stop. You're going to kill yourself. You are not going to be able to follow this through without damage. I need you to back out while you still can. Because here's a fact, and I'm going to share this with you twice today. There are some scenarios you will not escape with your integrity. How do I know that? Because that's true for me 100%. You guys, I can name scenarios to you right now. I'm not getting out with my integrity. So I can't even go there. I already know I'm weak. I already know the areas where I can't hold up under pressure. I already know those exact scenarios. So I'm not going to allow myself to be in that place because I'll never go out of it. God will give me a wide open door. God will go, there is a way out of temptation. Look at the door. It's right there. Got a big exit sign right over the top. I'm not taking it. So I can't go in that room. Does that make sense? Listen, I don't pretend to understand all this scenario. I don't pretend to be awesome in this area. As a matter of fact, as a single guy, I was not awesome. I mean, I look back and no matter what, when you get married, you tend to regret everything that you did prior to marriage, right? Isn't that the truth? You look back and you go, seriously? So I, I, I get all that. And you know what? I'm not here trying to slam you with judgment. If I'm in your shoes, I'm probably doing what you're doing. I get it. What I'm telling you is we have to stop hurting ourselves. And we have to start living differently if we're ever going to be honoring to the Lord. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. We're just going from 12 through the end of the chapter. Not super long. But there's an awful lot to talk about. Paul says this. He says, all things are lawful for me. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought at a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you guide us and direct us and teach us, Lord, the pastor, me, doesn't have all the answers, actually isn't great at all this stuff, but yet, Lord, you are. You're perfect and marvelous, and what we ask, Lord, is that you would teach us directly, that you would show us, Father, what it is to be right in your eyes, how to handle relationships, how to make sure that everything is honoring to you. That, Father, as we lift up worship with our mouths, may we also worship you with our bodies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 12. All things are lawful for me, 
He's going to say that phrase four times in this book. Why? Why does he keep repeating the same phrase? It is believed that within this passage we're going to study, there are three slogans that the Corinthians have adopted and used, put on their fridge, wrote on their bumper stickers, where they are saying, these are, these are axioms that we live by. So one of the first things they said is, all things are lawful for me. I have freedom to do whatever I want. Well, where did they learn that from? Was that from their culture? Is that where in, in the Greco-Roman world that they had this tremendous freedom? I'm a Roman citizen. I can do whatever I want. Is that what we're talking about? I would say maybe, but I'll tell you where I think they learned it from. They learned it from Paul. Why? Because here's what Paul has taught them. You have been washed. You have been justified. You have been sanctified. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. You have been set free, and if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You are no longer under a works righteousness. However, it is a free gift of God, not by works that anyone should boast. And I can go on and on and on. What is Paul trying to say? You have been set free. You have been forgiven. Jesus Christ died for your sins, past, present, and future. And all over the place, it keeps talking about liberty and being set free. You were moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And on and on it goes. So they took that, embraced that, and said, wait a second. If you're telling me that God's grace is sufficient for me, then there's no sin I can do that opts me out, or I lose my Willy Wonka ticket to heaven. Therefore, I can do anything. In Jesus Jesus Christ, I have been set free and my liberty means that ultimately my actions are not going to dictate whether or not I am a son of God. I am a son of God because of what Jesus Christ did. Therefore, it doesn't matter what I do. So they thought that was a pretty cool phrase. All things are lawful for me. Paul said, all right, let's play that game. You got your little slogan, right? All right, I'll roll with that. I get where you're going. However, can I please add to it for a second? Here's my side. Yeah, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Okay? So let's put a little wisdom behind this. You have the freedom in Jesus to eat 12 cakes. Are we going to do that? No. Why? That's stupid. Okay. You have a freedom to what? Drink hemlock, snort cyanide. You got all kinds of freedom. That does not mean that we are doing everything and that we have an allowance to do everything because not everything is healthy. There is a law that goes higher than your law of liberty. That is the law of love. Therefore, God is going to hold you accountable to the law of love on how you love yourself, how you love other people, and how you love God. So if you are utilizing your liberty to violate the law of love, we now have a conflict and a tension, and it's no longer acceptable. So while, yes, you do have liberty, you also have responsibility. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Sure, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Paul's view is I have to beat my body into submission so I'm in control. My body doesn't dictate what I do. I dictate what I do. Because ultimately, if your liberty means you continually say yes to your body, then at some point you lose the reins. Your Breaks are cut and you can't stop it from going over a cliff. What do I mean? Well, here's how it starts, man. I got freedom to have a beer Man, I got a freedom to have two beers 
and I got freedom to have beers tomorrow, and I got freedom to, and all of a sudden, the freedom slips away. Now, all of a sudden, let's watch you stop. You're going to stop? Oh, look, now you can't. You have no idea what you're addicted to until you try to stop. As long as you continue to feed it, it is not an addiction. In your mind, right? Because as long as you keep rolling with it, your body's cool. Try stopping. If you have ever tried fasting, you realize how connected to food you really are, right? I remember one time I was trying to increase my self-discipline, and so for a period of time, I stopped eating dessert. I realized how much I like dessert, an awful lot. At one time, I even did a diet where you cut out carbs. Have anyone ever tried that? Stupid, right? Carbs are the greatest thing on the face of the earth. You didn't know that. Not until you cut them out, right? Because your body's going along with a program, and it's in charge. It's on autopilot. Only when your mind says and your spirit says, we're not doing that anymore, does it suddenly fire off an alarm and go, that's not right. What are you doing? And it panics and starts fighting against you. Paul said, I will find a way through self-discipline, the spiritual disciplines, to make sure that I'm in control of my body. I don't let my passions and my urges dictate what I'm going to do. I will dictate via my spirit and submitting it to Jesus Christ. I will not be mastered by anything. It's a Greek wordplay. He said, because of Jesus, I have authority over everything. Therefore, I'll not give authority to anyone. Make sense? He goes on. He said, how about your other little slogan? Verse 13. You got another one. Food is meant for the stomach, stomach for food. What's that mean? It means it's all going to burn. Who cares? I'm going to eat a burger. It's going to go in my body. At some point, I'm going to die. Not a big deal. Doesn't touch my spirit. The Twinkie does not impact my eternal existence. Whatever, stomach for food, food for the stomach, anything that you do with this body does not ultimately matter. Because really, it's our spirits that are alive, right? So it don't matter what you do with this. Whether I have sex or don't have sex, that's a regular appetite. I'm just merely rolling. It's all a body thing. It doesn't impact my spirit. has no real connection there. And they would use that slogan to say anything done in this life, in the flesh, ultimately doesn't matter. And Paul goes, no, that's not right. I don't know where you got that phrase, but that's not correct. You know what? We want to play the stomach for food. All right, let's go. You're right. God's going to destroy both the one and the other. However, I need you to realize the other side of this. The body, the soma, all that is spirit and flesh were interconnected. The soma is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord Jesus, who will also raise us up from the grave and corruption by his power when we are glorified. Here's the problem with your little stomach for the food and food for the stomach. Jesus took his body with him. That's your problem. You keep saying it doesn't matter, right? Then why isn't Jesus' body still in the tomb? You keep saying that what you do here doesn't matter. It doesn't impact my spirit. But guess what? You are so intricately tied together. Christianity is a bodily resurrection religion. Jesus took his, glorified his. It says that the dead in Christ will rise. It says that we will have our bodies changed. It doesn't say that we discard and that none of this stuff matters. We are so intricately wound up that what you do with your body affects your spirit. What happens in your spirit affects your body. You don't just get to play the Greek philosophy game, which is the body will never be touched by anything deity. 
Oh, it's a prison. It's the thing I want to get rid of. It's the thing that I discard if I'd only leave this life and be a disembodied spirit. That's not Christianity. That's Greek philosophy. That's different. So don't tell me that it doesn't matter what you do. It does matter what you do. Everything in this body has some impact on your spirit. Why? Because it's the way that God designed it. Verse 14, do you not know? Now, this is the seventh time he said that. He's going to keep saying it. Why is that important? Because they know. You can't claim ignorance. But, dude, I didn't know. What are you, what are you talking about? Wait, I didn't know you couldn't sleep with your girlfriend. What do you mean with it? You do too. How do you know? You came to church today. That was your fault. Do you not know? That your bodies are members of Christ. All right, let's use the analogy. It says Jesus Christ is the head, his church is his body, right? Therefore, we use phrases like we are the hands and feet of God. Blessed are those whose feet bring good news. When God wants to give somebody a hug, he's going to use your arms to do it, right? We have all these different analogies that we spin off from that, right? So if God's going to deliver something or do something here on the earth, we are his hands and feet. We carry out his will as he stewards the world. We are the action piece to Jesus' power, all right? Well, if that's true, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Wait, what? What do you mean? No, no, no. You just said that you are carrying out God's will, that Jesus and you are intricately entwined. You just said that everything he does here in the world, he's going to do through his local church. Now, if that is the case, you're going to hook Jesus up with a prostitute. What? No, that's no, that's gross. What? No, no, that's exactly what you're doing. He said, may it never be. Um, I hand out little booklets to people that um, come to know Christ for the first time. We have a little packet that we hand to everybody and it has a booklet called My Heart Christ Home by Ed Munger. It's one of my favorite little booklets ever. It was written a long time ago and he paints a beautiful picture of what it means to ask Christ into your heart. That he pictures it like you invite Jesus into your home and he comes into your home and you're talking by the fireplace and you're chatting about everything and everything's great. And he wanders through all your rooms and he cleans stuff out. Right. Then there's that one closet. There's something in there and you won't let him in there and it's locked and stinks. And Jesus is like, I don't want to sleep upstairs. That's gross. Right. I mean, there's all these neat little analogies. Well, then sure enough, one time you're sitting by you're getting up in the morning and Jesus is down by the fire and you go, hey, Jesus, um, I'm going to go out with my friends today and I'll see you later. And Jesus goes, what do you mean? I'm going. I love your friends. You're like, yeah. Okay, it's going to be boring. You don't want to do that. You don't want to hang out with us. You just stay here. I'll be back. Because you know full well what you're about to go do. You don't want him to do. Because that would be embarrassing. So you have him stay there. He goes, no, no, no. I'll go with you. Seriously, I told you. You and me, man. Compadre. Trust bump. Right? We're going to do everything together. We're all in. Let's go. Let's go. Where are you going to go? This is kind of like an adventure. Let's do this. Well, Jesus, I don't. No, I don't think you'd be into this. This is not really your thing. You should, I'd love to go. And it's almost like as you're going out the door, you know, the dog tries to stick his nose in there, and you're like, Jesus, whoop, 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 and you shut the door, right? You're like, I'll be back, right? And then you go out and do some sin with your friends. You come back in, he's sitting by the fire, and he's like, hey, how was your time? Oh, you know, it is, it is lame. It's no big deal. But anyway, I'm glad to see you, man. How are things going with you? I'm all right. I'm all right. And you know full well in his eyes what he knows. Yeah? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? 
Or you, do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one in body with her? That word in the ancient language, every other time, means to be glued or cemented. There you go. What's happening with sex? I don't know. But they're using phrases like glued and cemented. Do you not know that he who is glued or cemented to a prostitute becomes one in body with her? For it's written, Genesis 2.24, the two will become one flesh. You're fused and you're now one person. But he who is glued to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Everyone's like, well, it's a good thing I'm not involved with prostitution. Okay, I'm going to say this and I'm going to try to be polite. The difference between fornication and prostitution is one has better business sense. We do not... We do not understand our connection with Christ, and we don't understand our interpersonal connections with each other. Uh, We don't understand what we're messing with, and we keep hurting ourselves. Uh, Let's pick it up. His bottom line is verse 18, flee from immorality. Get out of there. Run. Now, of course, every commentary in the world and every Christian automatically tracks on, hey, I remember that story in the Old Testament. Remember when Joseph ran away from his boss's wife? Do you remember that? So Joseph, incredible, like, stud dude. He's super good looking. He's awesome. And he's super powerful. And he's really smart. And he's everything that, that women want. And Potiphar, his boss, his wife's coming on to him over and over and over. And he's like, no, that's cool. Blah, blah, blah. And he's trying to ditch out. Well, eventually she just goes intense. You will sleep with me now. And she grabs hold of him, right? And he's like, what? Ah! And, he, and he ditches his cloak and runs out the door. Now, here's the, here's the bad thing about this story. We would all consider that, guys, we would consider that failure that you had to run away. We'd be like, you know, I should be able to be strong enough to be like, woman, no, right? And, and we'd stand up and be all big and bad. And yet, you have this man of God who goes, I'm estimating this right now, and it's never going to go well for me. However this scenario is going to go down, I can't escape with my integrity, I'm out. And he just bails and runs. The Bible heralds him as the wise one. While the rest of us are like, I would never do that, I'm going to sound too cool for that. And You're right, and you fail. That's the problem. So Paul's trying to say, get out of the room. Leave now. Go quickly, because you're not going to use the exit later. Flee from sexual immorality. This is a complicated phrase, this next sentence, all commentators are like, I don't really know how it works. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. All right, here's what complicates it. The word other is not in the Greek. So actually how it reads is, every sin a person commits is outside the body. They believe that is the third slogan that they were utilizing, which is everything that you do in this life doesn't matter. It's outside the body. And Paul goes, let me clarify for you, that is not true. I can tell you one example right here, right now. Sexual immorality is not outside the body, it's within you. There's a deeper connection there. So the context puts the word every in there. Every other sin, that kind of every other sin, right? Um, Do you not know that your, which is plural, that your body, singular, is a temple, naos, the temple itself, not the whole compound, the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. Okay, we've all heard that, right? 
your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? And we usually talk about it in terms of how we eat and taking care of ourselves. And well, he's using this in terms of sexuality. Do you remember when we went through the book of Hebrews and we set up and did that whole temple thing? Remember where we had the, the holy place and the holy of holies and the big curtain was represented? You remember all that? And we kept talking about that really intense, that between that curtain, even though it's just a curtain, it was like a million miles wide because in there dwelt the presence of God. And it was so hardcore that a guy went in once a year. Do you remember that? And he had to have little bells on because if he did anything wrong, he'd have to be pulled out and, and all this different, nobody goes in there without being cleansed. And he had to cleanse like seven times just to try to be, remember all that? That's you. You're the Holy of Holies. You're the place where he dwells. So all the sin that you do, you do in that little room. Whoa. What? You're carrying out sin in the Holy of Holies, the very scary room on the inside. That's crazy. Now, I'm not a big sacred ground guy. Um, I grew up in denominations and with friends and everything. We never really bought into the sacred ground stuff. Some denominations did, some eras did, where they believed, like, for example, this sanctuary room is holy ground, don't bring coffee in here, that kind of stuff, right? I never bought into that stuff. It's just a building, we're the church, right? And, you know, you read the Old Testament stuff that he deal with Israel, and you say, take off your sandals where you're standing is holy ground. And that holy ground concept has been hard for me because I was always trained that God dwells within us. Let me tell you where holy ground is for sure. It's you. That is for sure. You're a moving, nomadic, holy of holies, of sacred ground. And what do we do with it? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. You're not calling the shots anymore. Why? You were bought with a price in the slave market. You were bought back by the blood of Christ from sin. Were you set free? Absolutely, you were set free. You were set free to no longer have to sin. Before that, you had no choice. You just rolled with self-focus. That's sin. But now you've been set free. You've been given the Holy Spirit to indwell you to keep you in victory. You've been given everything you need for life and godliness. So glorify God with your body. You know, we, we're so good at figuring out how to worship God, maybe in song, maybe in speech, maybe even giving our testimony. But we're not awesome at honoring God and worshiping him with our bodies. How we handle relationships. A lot of us utilize our bodies to lure one another, right? Because we want attention, whatever it is. And we're always trying to utilize stuff to gain like we're greedy and what we have to realize is that when we utilize our bodies in that fashion it actually detracts from the glory of god it doesn't emanate the glory of god final point before i go into the closing thought the closing challenge is this we have really really cavalier attitudes because we think that sex doesn't matter but god says it does and we got to look at it differently Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for guiding us and walking us through it. Lord, allowing us in a very difficult place to understand. That, Lord, that I don't know how this applies to everybody. I don't know who needs to be condemned and who needs to be encouraged. I don't know who needs to be forgiven and, and who needs to be beat over the head. I, I don't know any of that. 
And so I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do that which man cannot do. Would you bring about change in us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Closing challenge is this. Spend some time this week considering how you are sexually unfaithful to God, to your spouse, to yourself. Pray through it. Ask God how he might help you make it right. Because healing has to begin with confession. You have to get it out of your chest and away from that secret place. If your marriage has been rocked by infidelity in one shape or another, we have a soul care counseling center here. They are qualified and gifted to help you through that stuff. I had a book that was recommended to me years ago called Torn Asunder by Dave Carter, talking about trying to get through an affair because Here's the bottom line. I'll leave you with this thought. Whatever Satan has brought destruction upon, Jesus Christ can redeem. Amen? Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next week.